You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Please follow along with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By setting His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to... Set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You bow your heads in prayer with me. Father, uh, Lord God, we thank you for your word. um, And we thank you for um, just the promise of this um, passage that we've just read. The promise that there is therefore now no condemnation, no more slavery. That you have come and you have opened the jail cell for those of us um, who have trusted in you. You have opened the jail cell through your work at the cross and through your victory over death in the empty tomb. And that's what we celebrate um, in this season, Father. And we're grateful to you that we have the freedom um, to do so. And yet, Father, I'm deeply aware that there are some sitting in this room this morning who um, have yet to taste what it means to live in freedom. I know that there are some in this room, Father, who are just desperately holding on. And so, Father, I pray that you would come and minister to us. And I pray that in the spiritual realm, God, that you would just push back the darkness that seeks to overcome and overtake and that seeks to destroy, that seeks to confuse. Lord, I pray that you would give us a spirit of peace this morning. I pray, God, that you would focus our hearts and our minds on 
the work that you want to do inside of us. I don't know where each person is specifically. I don't know um, what their minds were set on this morning as they walked in the door. But Father, I pray that you would come and do what, what I and all of us in this room are unable to do without you. And that is to radically transform us through the renewing of our minds. To set our minds upon your work at the cross and your work in the empty tomb. Give us the spirit of Christ, we pray. Give us the mind of Christ, we pray. Help us to take every thought captive this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? So I want you to think about the word captivate. Uh, the root word of the word captivate is the word captive. And when you think about the picture of someone who is in captivity, what do you think of? Prison. You see, a person in captivity can only do what his or her captor uh, allows them to do. It's a picture uh, that can either be negative on the one hand or positive on the other. Uh, if you think about it, I think you'll see what I'm saying. Sometimes uh, we're uh, held captive by something that is very negative, very damaging, very destructive. When you think about it this way, maybe you get impatient to have something that you've always wanted. I don't know what that might be for you, um, but impatience is probably something that most of us generally struggle with. Even the most patient people can be impatient for more patience. But we get impatient for something uh, that we desperately want, right? We become captivated by the pursuit of getting it to the extent that we throw off all restraint in our pursuit. Uh, we get angry. Uh, maybe. Think about anger. Think about when someone disrespects you. So it may not be impatient so much for you. Maybe the bigger thing for you is uh, respect. You just you want to be respected. And when you, when you feel disrespected by your child or your spouse or a coworker or your boss or the lady at the checkout lane at Walmart, when you feel disrespected, this makes you angry, right? Um, and in those moments, maybe you lash out at someone destructively. Even if you don't do it out loud, maybe you do it in your head. You call them names in your head, right? Um, maybe you're in your car and you're driving. It causes road rage. Maybe not so much road rage, but you're raging on the road. Um, these are negative, destructive, damaging things that can hold us in captivity. Um, think about worry or fear. You worry about the future. Anybody worry about the future here? Because I worry about the future an awful lot. Um, this is something I've struggled with this weekend quite a bit for a lot of different reasons. Um, worry and fear about the future. What's going to happen if this happens or that happens? If she or he says or does that or doesn't do this or that? Um, and then we can live in worry, right? Fear, doubt. We wind up obsessing over those things to the extent that we wind up just living in defeat and despair. Um, so sometimes what holds us in captivity can be very negative, uh, very damaging, very destructive. So that's one box, you can wrap that up with a bow, push it off to the side. Let's jump into a different box. You think about the things that can hold you in captivity that aren't so negative, they're not so damaging, they're not so destructive. Um, maybe they're actually something that's actually very positive and life-giving. You might say, what? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There are some things that can be very positive and life-giving. You know, say that you want your marriage or your relationship to become healthier, right? Um, whatever may not just be a marriage, may just be a friendship with somebody. You want that to become healthier, and so... Uh, so you become kind of captivated 
um, by this pursuit of becoming a healthier spouse or friend. See, there's a difference in what I'm saying there because here's what oftentimes happens. If you're in the negative box that we just pushed to the side, it, that negative box is more like, man, I'm in this really unhealthy relationship and I really want to make you become the person that I want you to be. So that's unhealthy, negative, damaging, destructive. Every good counselor will tell you you can't change people, right? Um, so what's healthy, though, is when I'm in a relationship where things are kind of on tilt, I need to be asking the Lord, hey, uh, what needs to happen to me so I can be a really healthy friend here, healthy spouse, healthy parent? Um, how can I honor you in what I'm doing? That's a healthy way to be in captivity to the Lord. So you think about Paul in another place of Scripture where he says, I became a bondservant. This is a slave to Christ Jesus. So you think about that, it means to be in captivity, captivated by Christ, putting on the mind of Christ. That's the picture there. So this is a, one of the healthy ways in relationship. Um, think about it another way. Think about it in terms of addiction. Okay, If you are uh, addicted to something or you have a destructive habit in your life, then maybe you've become kind of captivated by, um, controlled by in some regard, uh, like a set of, of steps or principles that will help you to walk in freedom from those destructive habits. We would all say, yeah, that's good. That's life-giving, right? Um, that's a good thing to be captivated by and controlled by. Um, here's another one. I, I know this fits us well, fits me well, too. Um, on the uh, on the Myers Briggs test, I'm an uh, on ENTJ, so the J means um, Joker. No, it doesn't mean Joker. Uh, the J means justice. Basically, I'm very justice oriented. Um, you could say judging, um, which I am um, justice oriented, though. So all of us see injustices in the world, right? Uh, one of the injustices that I grew up uh, reading everything about was the. Native American Indians. I read every book in the library. My mom homeschooled me, and she was like, hey, if you want to read something about American history, I want you to read this. So I read about American history through the lens of an entire nation that was crushed by people that were saying, we want freedom. That'll jack with you, right? Um, and so uh, there are things that I uh, am passionate about when it comes to looking out in the world and seeing injustice happen. Now, a lot of people might say, well, that was a long time ago, Joe. Let the past be the past. Okay, I get it. But all of us still look out into the world and we see injustices that we want to make right, right? You see wrong and you want to make it right. Could be abortion, uh, could be some political candidate, could be gun control, um, whatever it is for you. Um, we look out in the world and we see things that are uh, in that term of injustice wrong and we want to make it right. I wouldn't be wrong to pursue making those things right. You'd be on God's team, so to speak, if you're pursuing trying to make things right in the world. Agreed? It wouldn't be bad to be captivated by those very good things. Um, so there are things we can be captivated by that are very negative, damaging, destructive. There are also things we can be captivated by which are very life-giving, very good uh, for our culture, our city. Um, the point here is that when we get our minds set on something, then that's something that our minds get set on actually hold us in captivity in either A, a negative way or a positive way. I'm just kind of making the point over and over again, making sure you guys are tracking with me, right? But the question is this. The question is this. What is your mind captivated by today? As you came walking in here this morning, what was it that your mind, your heart, your soul is captivated by, in controlled by, uh, dominated with, or in bondage to? What is it that, that you spent the most amount of your emotional and spiritual and physical energy on lately? 
Think back over the last week, maybe. And as you do this, what I want you to think about is I want you to think about this passage in Romans chapter 8. Because the overriding theme of Romans chapter 8 is truth, right? It's the truth that the spirit of the living God, not the dead God, but the living God, because there's no body in that grave. We sang about that this morning. He's the living God. The spirit of the living God comes and sets us free from the negative, destructive, and damaging things that hold us in captivity. That's the overriding truth of Romans 8. When the Spirit of the living God sets us free, He doesn't set us free to go back into slavery, go back into captivity. He doesn't set us free to stay where we were. He sets us free to become new creations in Christ Jesus. That's the truth of this passage, truth of the Scriptures, truth of the Gospel. For every child of God, this promise is true. For every person who is not a child of God in this room, you're an enemy of God, you're walking away from Him, you're not walking with Him, right? For you, this is an invitation to come and to trust and to rest in this promise that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The truth of this passage is that Jesus has condemned what once condemned you. So if you've trusted in Jesus, you've trusted in His work at the cross. You've trusted in His victory at the empty tomb. Uh, you are no longer in captivity to those negative, destructive, damaging effects of Satan's sin and the grave. You have a new mindset now if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior. Not in bondage to the old mindset of the flesh any longer. You think about that term, the mindset of the flesh. We'll look at verses 5-8 through eight here in a moment again. But when you think about that box, that mindset of the flesh, it's a very dangerous place to live. It's not a safe place to live. It's not a place of freedom. It's a place of bondage and slavery. It's a place that is characterized by spiritual death, spiritual conflict, hostility and rebellion towards God. It's a place where you live in absolute, unrestrained rebellion towards God's desires for your life. It's a place of, of hopeless dysfunction where you and I live crippled, or we live blind, or we live sick, or we live lost. That's the picture of the mindset of the flesh. It's your mind being set on something that is destructive and dangerous. Paul says it this way in verses 5-8. through eight. We just read it. Let me read it to you again. Those who live according to the flesh, catch that? Live according to the flesh, set their minds... That's where I get this phrase, mindset. Set their minds on what? The things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, he's contrasting the two together. Those who live according to the Spirit, what do they do? They set their minds. They have a mindset on the things of the Spirit. Then he comes back to the mindset of the flesh again. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? It's death, he says. That's heavy language. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Again, you kind of contrast death with life and peace. Well, the opposite of peace would be conflict. 
So you could say to set your mind on the flesh would be spiritual death, spiritual conflict. To set your mind on the spirit would be spiritual life and spiritual peace. He moves on and he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is what? It's hostile to God. Hostility, think of that word. Someone who lives in hostility towards another makes himself out to be their enemy. It's the picture uh, for me of a young child throwing an absolute raging fit, right? Or, or it's the picture of an enemy who's breathing down your throat, breathing down your neck, will not leave you alone. He's in hostility against you, rebelling against you, will not leave you alone. It's for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. He moves on, he says, for it does not submit to God's law. There's no desire to submit to God's law for their life, God's commands, God's directives. He follows that up by saying, indeed it cannot. The person whose mind is set on the flesh absolutely cannot submit to God's law. Why? Because they're in bondage to something else. Uh, this is where, um, uh, this is where uh, Luther's book, uh, The Bondage of the Will, is really fascinating. Um, specifically because we live in a day and age where the doctrine of free will has been distorted. Um, we think free will means that I actually have the power to choose what is right and what is good. Uh, but the truth is that if you look throughout the scriptures, you'll find that, that that's actually so far from the truth. Because you and I are infected with something called sin. So we are actually under the control of the sin in our lives. We're not free. It's not like God gave you just a tiny little ounce of freedom so that you could actually choose them. You're either on the wide path or the narrow path. We're going to talk about that later. Right? You're on one or the other. There's no in-between. So we're actually controlled by. That's why you cannot. Indeed, it cannot, he says. Submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh, he finally says, cannot please God. So there, if you're in the flesh, which is, you could say, a state of not being saved, right? Not being a Christian. There's absolutely nothing you can do, he says, right here, very clear. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please Him. Even your decision to follow Him, you cannot please Him in that. There will never be enough good things that you or I could do to please God enough. Even your decision to follow and to trust in Jesus must be something that ultimately comes back and glorifies Him. He must have given you the strength and the ability to do that. He must have first acted upon you and opened your heart and enabled you to do so. Agreed? So you're either in one of two places this morning. If you're in this place of the flesh, the mindset of the flesh, you're not a Christian, or maybe you even think you are a Christian just simply because you've been in church your entire life, but your life does not prove that you're a Christian, maybe this would help to wake you up and encourage you. That only God can come and do this work inside of you, right? This is where the mind becomes renewed and transformed and the heart becomes new inside of us. The hope is that as Paul lays this out, as God lays this out through Paul, maybe through my preaching this morning, that you would see these two categories, these two mindsets, the mindset of the flesh and the mindset of the spirit, and that God would come in these moments and set you free from the mindset of the flesh and give you the freedom of the mindset of the spirit. Because when the sun comes to set you free, you're what? 
free indeed. You see, the mindset of the flesh is a very dangerous place to live. Why? Because it's characterized by words like bondage and slavery and death and conflict and hostility. These are the words that characterize the mindset of the flesh. Let me delve into this a little bit more. When your mind is set on the flesh, it is literally consumed with the things of the flesh. Uh, The kind of mindset, this kind of mindset, it's it's a spiritually dead mindset. It's a mind that is controlled with conflicting thoughts about God rather than being at peace with God. It's a frame of mind that lives in open hostility, open opposition towards God. It's the kind of thinking in your mind. It's the kind of believing that is characterized by rebellion and disobedience towards God rather than submission and obedience. Does this characterize you? Is your life characterized by rebellion and disobedience rather than trust and obedience and submission? See, if your mind is set on gratifying the desires of your flesh, then what what does your life look like? It looks like someone who is determined to bring displeasure to God. So think about that for a minute. Because it would be hard for us to probably admit that we are determined to bring displeasure to God, right? That's hard for us to admit. Are you in a place where you are determined to bring displeasure to God instead of being determined to bring Him pleasure? You see, you cannot please God with a mind that is transfixed or set on the flesh. Because if that's where your mind is transfixed and set upon, then then your desires, the things that you want, are actually in open conflict with pleasing God. This is why I say the mindset of the flesh is a very dangerous place to live. Very destructive, very damaging place to live. You might consider with me for a moment what it looks like when you live in that place or when you have lived in that place. And I will add a caveat here just as we're walking through this. This should not be an excuse for us. It should be a reality for us that um, we're going to struggle with this. There is going to be, even if you are a believer this morning, have been for a long time, there is going to be an old nature inside of you that's going to continue to war against the new nature that you actually are. And that old nature does not define who you are. You, who you are, is defined by whose you are, okay? So if you belong to Jesus this morning, you're looking at your life and you're like, yeah, gosh, I see some of these places of the fleshly mindset. I just confessed earlier that yesterday and the day before even, it has a struggle for me in many different ways um, in some of these categories, mostly worry and fear of the future. Um, I almost generalize, but we'll just leave it there. Um, so I struggle in this too, and yet I know that that does not define who I am. Who I am is defined by whose I am. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Um, but I want you to think about what it looks like when you live in that dangerous mindset of the flesh. What does that dangerous place look like practically for you? You might think of this in terms of uh, relationships. We're all relational beings, okay? Or you might think about it in terms of emotions, what you worry, what you fear, what you doubt. <laughs> might think about it in terms of relationships. Like I said a minute ago, it could be friendships, could be family members, could be spouse, could be kids, coworkers. 
Um, could be any of these areas as you're, th- as you're trying to assess, man, am I living in this dangerous place? Because if I am, I don't want to stay there, I hope, right? Um, so hopefully this would be an exercise in helping us to just recognize if we've been there. Um, I think the best place to go to assess that is probably Galatians 5. <coughs> Galatians 5, 19 to 21, Paul explains that the mindset of the flesh is really obvious. It's not something we have to really think about a whole bunch. Pretty obvious according to Scripture. Here's the list that he gives. Sexual immorality, is that present in your life? Uh, impurity, is that present in your life? Just keep asking the question all the way down the line. Sensuality, idolatry, uh, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Interesting, it's a really long list, and then he ends up with things like these. It's the junk drawer for whatever you can create that goes along with any of this or tries to recreate any of that in different ways. Because we're really good at that. Like, well, I don't really think that that's really sexual sin. Um, If I only look at a woman for like two or three seconds versus 15 seconds, it's not really sexual sin, is it? I'm not as guilty as David, am I? Like, we recreate sin is the point. That's why he says, and things like these. Follows it up with this. It says, I warn you. Now, Anybody here like to get a warning? Yes, we love to get warnings instead of tickets, right? Okay? But when it comes to spiritual warnings, we don't like that. How dare you warn me spiritually? Like, get back in your own cave. I don't know. Get away from me. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear from you. Spiritual warnings are hard for us when someone comes and warns us. Okay, that step's probably not wise for you to take because it could lead here. But he says, says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things... Meaning, I think, meaning make this a way of life. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is what it likes, it's what it looks like to live in that dangerous mindset of the flesh. It's what it looks like to be a person who lives in condemnation. It's like a sort of spiritual blindness that has no awareness whatsoever of the possibilities of actually living in spiritual freedom. When you look at this picture from Galatians, what we're seeing is a, a picture of someone who has absolutely no desire to please God. Do you have a desire to please Him this morning? <clears throat> you look back over your life and you say, man, I see the, I see the places where the, my fleshly desire took over last week. Do I have the desire? That's a really good question to ask. Is that desire inside of you creating change or is it creating a, a kind of a, a false Christian, right, that talks about change and talks about wanting but never actually gets their car in the shop to fix it? Are you just kind of stuck on the side of the road, you know? But it's not a good place for us to be either. It's a dangerous place to be. Might need somebody to come help push you out or pull you out, right? I mean, this is a picture when we're looking at Galatians and we're looking at Romans together. It's a picture of someone who absolutely has no motivation to love God. No no compelling vision to live in holiness. It's a dangerous place of fleshly mindset. There's only self in that little box. And the immediate gratification of whatever self wants this morning. Sacrifice. Ever lived in that dangerous place? You've done that recently? Are you there now? Don't stay there. 
You don't have to stay there. The prison doors are unlocked. Jesus died on the cross so that you could walk out of that prison, so that you could run out of that grave. I remember when I used to live in that dangerous place. I'm saying that as a straightforward statement that I used to live consistently in these places. Sometimes I still go back to those dangerous places because I am sinful and I am not perfect. I will not stand in front of you and tell you that I am. And if you expected a perfect pastor, you need to go find Jesus because he's the only perfect pastor I know. So I confess that I still go back to some of those places. Those are dark and ugly places. These are places where I become consumed with myself. I exist in those places only to please me, and everyone around me exists only to please me too. Um, and if for the single folks in the room, all you got to do is get married, and your spouse will figure this out too, about you. Okay? Because if you ask my wife, and if she feels comfortable being honest with you, <laughs> She could tell you all sorts of things about how difficult I am. So this, this is a place that uh, I don't want to go to. But sometimes what I do in those places, I try to tip the scales back in my direction, right? Cook a few meals for the family, do dishes a few times, um, do a good deed for someone on the side of the road, maybe. Doesn't this kind of describe all of our journey? And it's so hard because then you start questioning your motives, and you're like, man, if I can't do it right, then why should I do it at all? That's the whole perfectionism piece, right? Um, like, aren't we a mess? Aren't people just an absolute complex mess when it comes to this struggle between the, the mindset of the flesh and the mindset of the spirit? Um, to the end of the day, what, what I want, and I think what God wants for us, is that our lives would be motivated by a bloody cross and an empty tomb. So I used to live in that dangerous place, and at times I still go back still need the Spirit to come and wake me up again. I don't want to be in a place where I'm stuck and powerless to change. I think that's one of the keys. Because back then I could not break free from those things. could not break free from those shackles of my flesh. I did not have the mindset of the Spirit of God. So you think about the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God was present at the creation of the world. By God's Spirit, God spoke and brought things out of nothing into, and made them something it's God's Spirit that comes and gives us brand new hearts and takes away the old hearts. It's God's Spirit who renews and transforms our minds, gives us new ways of thinking, desiring, and behaving. <clears throat> so think about, think about the mindset of the Spirit of living God. Because I think as I study out the Spirit and what it means to have the mindset of the Spirit on, we'll look at verses 9 through 11 here in a second, but I see what I see is a, a, true, a place of true safety and freedom. Not, not, not the kind of freedom that we've turned freedom into, where it's like free to do whatever I want to do. Um, it's the kind of freedom that is free within the, the boundaries of what God's given us. So it's like you're free to drive your car down the street if you're the right age with the right permit um, within the boundary lines of the lines on the side of the road, right? And, and, and in line with the speed limit. Otherwise, anything outside of that would be putting you back in a dangerous position again, correct? Um, so I think as I think about this mindset of the Spirit, this is about true safety, true freedom. <clears throat> when you think about a fish, um, this, is, this comes from a Porterbrook study that I did a while back. You think about a fish inside of a, 
pond, right? And starts complaining because he's stuck inside the confines of that pond. Um, so what does he do? I mean, a fish could do this, flops up out of the pond onto the beach. I'm so happy I'm free now. Can you see the craziness in this? You're, you're not free, okay? You're going to die. No, I'm getting to experience all the things I always wanted to experience. I wanted to be up on that beach. Oh, and I'm stuck here now. That's the picture between the mindset of the flesh and the mindset of the spirit. And what you need is you're like that fish. You ain't going to get off that beach on your own. You're not. We'd be stupid to think that that fish would get off the beach on his own. Going to need somebody to come over and pick him up and throw him back in the water into a place of true freedom. It's a picture of what God does. I just described you as a great picture of Calvinistic doctrine, okay, without all the distortions that a lot of people like to put on it. That's really what the picture is. We sometimes we get so afraid of doctrine. And I think if you look at the scriptures, I think you can see all the rooting of it right here, right? This place of the mindset of the spirit um, is really this place where we're able to say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a place of spiritual vitality. Um, it's a place where you and I are growing in holiness. It's a place where I have the supernatural ability to please God. It's a place where I desire to actually obey God. Does anybody here have a desire to obey God? Is that what you want to do? Or do you just want to find ways around obeying God to make it look like you're obeying God while pointing the finger at everybody else that isn't obeying God? That's complex, right? It's complex because we're human. We are in the image of God. And God is restoring that image in us. Through his death and resurrection, correct? So this is a place, spiritual vitality, growing in holiness, supernatural ability to please God, place where I desire to obey God, place where I live in peace with God. Are you at peace with God today? Are you at peace with you and your Father? In verses 9 through 11, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is, this is a picture of a living spirit. The Spirit of the living God living inside of you. Now, I'm not sure if you can grasp the weight of this, but if you're here this morning, you say, I'm a Christian. I trusted in Jesus um, at camp when I was a kid or my home church growing up or here at this church over the last few years. You trusted in Jesus, then the living Spirit of the living God is alive inside of you. Now, just think about that picture. He's not living outside there somewhere. <clears throat> it's not like, well, he's living in Dave, but I don't think he's living in me. It's actually like the Spirit of God inhabits every one of us completely and then ties us all together. I mean, you think of the power of God. That powerful force lives inside of you. When you and I think that we are incapable of overcoming this fleshly side of ourselves, who are we selling short? Whose face do we spit in when we do that? God's. Because we're ultimately saying, yeah, I believe that you can create the world, and I believe that you can save me from my sin, but I don't believe that you can set me free from my flesh. That's what we're saying. So what it really comes back to is a belief issue, doesn't it? What you're really needing is God to come and transform your heart and your mind. The things you think and the things you desire. So that you would now believe 
in the same way that you would behave. And that that would all be motivated by knowing whose you are. So anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, Paul says. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, which is interesting, we know that our bodies are dead because of sin, right? They're going to waste away. They're going to die. Face that. Will and Jenna faced that this week. Mom passed away in the middle of the night last night. This is an aspect of life. Our bodies are going to waste away and die. Death comes for every person. It's one thing none of us can escape completely. Unless God does a real miraculous thing, right? <clears throat> so though we know that our physical bodies are wasting away, he moves on. He says the spirit is life because of righteousness. This is a picture of the indwelling spirit bringing life to our mortal and dying bodies. Meaning that what really matters is not your flesh and not all the things that you can consume and have on this earth. What really matters is what's happening inside of you. So it's inner work before it's outer work. I say that again? It's inner work before it's outer work. Christians, we often get this backwards. Like when we first start following Jesus, like, Jesus, I need you to come and change me, save me from my sin, transform me. And then from that point forward, it's like, now I'm just going to focus on all these outward behaviors. It's behavior modification, right? I'm going to modify my behavior to the extent that you can't see all my bad behavior while inside I'm just an absolute wreck. What did Jesus call those kinds of believers? Whitewashed tombs, right? See, hypocrites aren't necessarily people that just know their Bibles really well. They're people who know their Bibles really well but don't actually obey it and live it. So... If the Spirit of Christ is alive in you, your body's going to be wasting away because of sin, but inside of you a brand new life is coming into shape. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the Spirit who dwells in you. This is the thing about this season, right? It's the Easter season. Every church, at least in America, maybe other places too, <laughs> is going to celebrate today and next Sunday, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, becomes a tradition, right, um, that we um, love to practice and we love to observe. And it's good. It's good for us to do that. So hear me say that. But there's also a real heavy danger in this. And on most churches, I think in America today, and maybe even across the world, only mention the resurrection and the cross of Christ on these two days a year. And then the rest of it's just a bunch of practical go how to fix your marriage and your relationship type of talk. I don't ever want us to become that. And I don't care if um, the preaching of the cross and the preaching of the empty tomb keeps us intentionally small. I would sure hope not. I would hope that God would grow that. <coughs> but we really should be applying <coughs> the bloody cross and the empty tomb to our lives every week, every time we open the Scripture, every day. When you look at this portion of Scripture that I just read, it's really about animated freedom. Our lives are like movies that are animated by invisible forces. We're not in control of our own lives like we think we are. Something or someone is in control of them. We have little operating systems with little individual, individual codes inside of us that tell us what to think, what to desire, what to feel, what to do. Get captivated, held captive by something, some desire, some emotion, some goal. Whatever it is that uh, holds you in captivity then dictates the pathway that you travel down. Two pathways according to the Bible. I mentioned this earlier. There's a wide pathway and a narrow pathway. The wide pathway is, uh, is easy. Seems like it. Why? 
Seems like because it gratifies your immediate desires. You want something, so you go after it. And everybody else is going that way, so why not? Right? Narrow pathway is really, really hard because it starves our immediate desires. It says, no, I want that, but I don't need that. I'm not supposed to have that right now. Simple. (laughs) Wide pathway is really controlled and captivated um, by our flesh. And it's corrupted by our sin. Um, The narrow pathway is controlled or captivated by the Spirit of God. Uh, It's characterized by freedom to love and obey God. To love God is actually to obey Him. Uh, Because Jesus tells His disciples, hey, if you actually do love me, then go do what I tell you to do. It's kind of interesting, like, if you have kids, and you know what this is like when your kid disobeys you, what do you know? You know they're not loving you right now. They're not just disobeying you. They're not loving you. They're rejecting your love towards them. But if your life is controlled by the mindset of the Spirit, then the Spirit of God is alive inside of you. Your desires are changing. You're, you're more concerned with the, uh, with the you that you are becoming because you know who you belong to. Uh, you, you might recognize from this passage that your body is wasting away because of sin, but your, but your life itself, the trajectory of your life, is characterized now by a bunch of brand new desires. To please God. I always tell young Christians when they first start following the Lord. This is, we've talked about this quite a bit. That hey, hey, you just started following the Lord. Don't try to like swallow the entire elephant in one bite. Take it a little step at a time. You got all these things in your life that are an absolute wreck because you've been living in this place of death for a long time, right? So take it a step at a time. You ain't going to repent from all that in one quick shot. Sometimes I just think we expect like perfection right off the bat. And then we forget that Jesus was perfect. Like, the gospel that gets us saved isn't the one that keeps us saved. Somehow we get saved by the gospel, and then we got to keep ourselves saved by our behavior. We don't want that either. Also don't want some sort of licentious living either, where it's like, well, you know, since God's grace is good enough, I can just go ahead and keep on sinning then, because God's grace will cover that. So that's such a tension. Again, complex, isn't it? I don't want to overstuff the plates full of food this morning, but there's so much in this text. And I want to be done with this because I'm at 42 minutes. So how do you know if this is you? That's the question, right, as we wrap this up. How do you know if this is you? How do you know if you've crossed over from the, the dangerous place of the mindset of the flesh into the safe place of the mindset of the spirit? How would you know? <laughs> Go back to Galatians again, 5.22-24. Paul says that just as the mindset of the flesh is actually obvious, the mindset of the spirit is also obvious because the fruit or the obvious evidence of the mindset of the spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against all those things, Paul says, there is no law. And those who belong, hear that, belong to Jesus, you're his, if you belong to Christ Jesus, then you've crucified your flesh with its passions and its desires. Crucified that at a cross called Calvary because you trusted in Christ. This list of fruit, that's the evidence. So look at your life that way. The mindset of the Spirit is a place of true safety and freedom. So in conclusion, I want to wrap up. <clears throat> Remember that sometimes we are held captive to some things that are negative, damaging, or destructive, right? Or, or sometimes we're um, held captive to things that are positive and life-giving. Um, we get our minds set on something, and then that something holds us in captivity in either a negative or a positive way. So the questions, again, are like this. What is your mind captivated by today? Um, do you have the mind of Christ? 
Have you taken every thought captive? Is the Spirit of the living God the one who is living through you? What is your mind controlled by, dominated with, in bondage to? Was the overriding theme of these passages that we're studying teach us that the Spirit of the living God has set us free from the negative, damaging, and destructive things that once held us in captivity? When the Spirit of the living God comes and lives, dwells inside of you, He sets you free to be free, to live in freedom. It's a positive and life-giving thing. So for every child of God in this room, whether you are a two-week-old child of God or a 20-year-old child of God, the truth and the promise is for each of us where He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus quite simply has condemned what once condemned you. This is radically good news, isn't it? Trusted in Jesus. Trusted in His work at the cross. Trusted in His victory at the empty tomb. You know that you will run out of that grave one day. You're no longer in captivity to the negative, destructive, damaging effects of Satan's sin and the grave. New mindset. You think about the mindset of Jesus during this Easter season. To just land there. As we're going to head into communion here in a few minutes. And I would be remiss if I were to leave you anywhere else other than at the foot of the cross looking at him, right? I don't want you to leave here and go, man, i got a list of ten things I need to go do. No, it's already been done. It's finished at the cross. That will enable your walking out of here and doing. But if you keep yourself focused on the things you need to do, guess what you're going to do? The things you don't want to do is what you're going to do. Paul says that previous to this, right? So I want to leave you looking up at Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday. On this day, we celebrate what is known historically as the triumphal entry. It was the day where Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people of Jerusalem threw a party because the new king was in town. Can I just ask you, who sits on the throne of your heart? Has that new king entered into your heart? Has the way been paved? Is your heart in a place of joyful celebration that this new king has come to rule your heart? Because Jerusalem is an awesome picture of our hearts. They were throwing a party because the new king was in town, but what they failed to understand in Jerusalem on that day, and Dave alluded to this earlier, this is a day where we celebrate the triumphal entry, but then it's crazy because Good Friday comes. And it just like shocks the ever-living bejesus out of us, doesn't it? It's like, man, right in the middle of all that celebration, the new king was here. Now I'm down and I'm in the dumps. It's because something happened there, and it's something that happens in us too. We don't understand that Jesus had a mind that was set on the cross. That's what his mind was set on. He was captivated by the cross. The scriptures actually teach us that for the joy that was set before him, he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. And he endured the horror of the crucifixion so that you and I might be set free from what used to condemn us. This was his mindset, even though your mind would be set against him. This was and will always be his mindset towards you, even when your mind fails to be set on him. 
His mind is set continuously on your freedom from whatever holds you in captivity. The mindset of the Spirit is a place of true safety and freedom to love and obey God. Jesus' mind was set on the horror of the cross, and it was set on the victory of the empty tomb, so that you and I might be able to say, my Savior is better at saving than I am at sinning. My Savior is more relentless than my enemy is. My Savior condemned what once condemned me. The cross is bloody, but the tomb is empty. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. Can you say that today? This is the new mindset of the newly resurrected life. Amen? Let me pray. Father, <coughs> pray that you would take this message and apply it to us um, as we enter into a time of praise through song and communion and prayer. Uh, Father, lead us to the foot of your cross and help us to cling to that bloody cross in the doorway of the empty tomb. Pray, Father, that you would come and set us free from places where we have um, given into and been controlled by the mindset of the flesh, and that you would give us the mindset of your very spirit. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.